Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Coors Field in Colorado. It's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Colorado Rockies 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy watching baseball being played. And that's right, your Guardians have swept the Rockies. We go into Colorado for the first time in 20 years, and we go ahead and we sweep the Rockies. You know, the Rockies will always hold an interesting place in a footnote of Cleveland sports history. Because if the Cleveland Indians in 2007, remember that magical 2007 season? We go up against Boston in the ALCS. If we had pulled out the win in that one in Game 7, we would have gone on to face the Colorado Rockies in the World Series. And remember, Boston ran all over Colorado. And my guess is Cleveland would have too. It was a four-game sweep. Basically, in 2007, the ALCS was the World Series. Those were the two best teams in baseball going head-to-head. Cleveland and Boston. Boston gets it in Game 7, and then they get the Rockies matchup in the World Series and run all over them. So it's not a big note in Cleveland sports, in Cleveland franchise baseball franchise history, but it is a footnote in Cleveland baseball franchise history that that's who was waiting for us, the Colorado Rockies, in that 2007 World Series, if we could have made it. So we go out to Colorado finally since 2002, and we end up sweeping them. Wow, it, it was a good weekend. It was a weekend. It was a good series. It uh, it was a really fun series uh, for Guardians fans. It was sloppy, and guess what? The sloppiness continued into this game, and I figured out why. The Rockies are really terrible at defense. I mean, they are they are bad. They are one of the worst defensive teams in all of baseball, and we will get to that. I mean, there's plays that won't even show up in the box score that are not going to show up in any Fangraph stats. Like when uh, when Austin Hedges pops one up at home plate with the catcher, uh, Servin is clearly under the ball, and the first baseman, Connor Joe, comes charging in, and they scare each other away from the ball, and it falls between them. Like, that's not going to show up as an error. That's not going to show up in fan graphs. But that's a sloppy, sloppy play. Uh, you know, the fact that they couldn't communicate on a pop-up to the right of home plate. A guaranteed out. I'm sure that had an expected batting average of, you don't even deserve an expected batting average because it's you're, it's a guaranteed out. So, uh, yeah, so really sloppy play from the Rockies continued into this game. And, you know, at, frankly, it cost them. It costs them. You'll see here where they give the Guardians an extra out in an inning. And anytime you give a team four outs in an inning in Major League Baseball, you were going to pay a hefty, hefty price. It's, in fact, a miracle that they didn't pay a higher price uh, with who they put up than in that situation. So we will get into all of that. But first, there is some big off-field news that I feel like can't wait, right? Can't wait on this one. Major League Baseball has officially approved David Blitzer as the minority owner for the Cleveland Guardians. It was reported that he's going to come in for, back when we talked about this on uh, New Year's Day, we talked about on January 1st, we did an episode. In fact, if you want to learn a ton of stuff about David Blitzer, go back and listen to that January 1st episode. It's still up in all your podcasting feeds. Uh, it was one of our, you know, off-season episodes recorded on January 1st, posted on January 1st. 
I go into extreme detail about who David Blitzer is and what research I was able to put together. I watched interviews he gave on New Jersey Devils intermission of hockey games. I watched interviews he gave at the Wharton School of Business. I watched a ton of stuff coming directly out of David Blitzer's mouth. And I put together, frankly, I put together a pretty good episode for you there that lets you know the kind of person he is. Back then, it was being reported that it could be a 35% stake in the team. Now it's being reported that it's a 25 to 30% stake in the team, which is still significant for a team valued around a billion dollars. It's, you know, that's 300-some million. Um, so it's a significant amount of money coming into the team. And the plan is to maybe stretch this transition out over six years, where he would become the majority owner of the team. Actually, it doesn't sound like the Dolans really want to go away. They still want to be involved as minority owners, it sounds like. Um, you know, they're not talking about just selling the team outright, packing up their bags and walking away. Uh, so, yeah, so this has always been to, you know, put an influx of cash into the team to make them competitive in the year 2022 with where Major League Baseball is going. I mean, you've got... You've got guys like Scherzer signing 40-plus million annual value contracts, AVV, right? Now they're not even worried about the the total amount of the contract. They want to know what they're going to get per season. That's the big number right now. Otani's contract, they're talking about four years, $200 million. That'd be a $50 million AV. So, yeah, uh, baseball is getting expensive. And frankly, I, I can't believe this. I, I got into it on Twitter with somebody about this. They were, they were trying to argue with me on Twitter that the influx of cash, the blitzer coming in, is a bad thing. That the rest of these teams are nuts in Major League Baseball for how they spend money and that the Dolans have been doing it right this whole time. The cheap Dolans who have to trade away every star player because they can't afford to pay them right? Uh, Clevenger, Lindor, we had to give up on Kluber. Well, Kluber was, you know, that was injuries, but still we couldn't lock Kluber up long-term. Kluber should have been a guardian for his entire career. I mean, that guy was was our guy. And uh, yeah, he's dealt with injuries, but he's pitched pretty good in between those injuries. So yeah, so someone's trying to argue with me this was a bad thing, but I, I don't think they understood what's happening here. The Dolan's culture that they installed, their front office culture, the way they, you know, evaluate talent and things like that, that's all things that Blitzer does. He's huge on analytics. So here's the thing. Here's the cliff notes on my Blitzer episode. He's huge on analytics, likes a smart front office. I don't think he's going to mess too much with the Antonetti churnoff with, frankly, the Mark Shapiro Antonetti front office tree, right? We always talk about in the NFL coaching trees. Well, there's definitely a front office tree because plenty of guys have been plucked from the Cleveland organization have gone on to be general managers all around Major League Baseball and team presidents all around Major League Baseball. That's not going to stop with Blitzer. He puts smart people in place. I don't think he has a plan to just replace Antonetti and Chernoff. And I don't think he has a plan to replace the way they evaluate young talent and the way they draft and the way they develop pitching and the way they develop young talent and use analytics. And now that they've got a hitting coach in here that actually knows what he's doing, hopefully the way they develop batters. That's not who Blitzer is. He's not changing that. 
So the culture parts of Dolan's that you like is not going away. But you can't tell me between 2016 and 2020, we couldn't have used a little bit of money to fill out this roster to get a little bit of help in here, right? I'm not talking about a Manny Machado, a Francisco Lindor, $300 million plus dollar contract. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Nick Castellanos in the corner outfield instead of Ben Gamble and, you know, Jordan Luplo. I'm talking about, you know, how nice was it to add Andrew Miller to this team and have a weapon like that on this team? Wouldn't it be nice to add one more huge weapon in the bullpen right now? Because you're struggling to find a seventh inning guy. In this game, you'll see that Shaw probably isn't your seventh inning guy still. Some days, yes. Some days, no. So an influx of cash. This is not going to be a team that's going to suddenly start throwing around money like the Dodgers or the Mets do. This is a team that will still spend responsibly, but now the handcuffs are off. I said in the tweet that, you know, that the Dolans kept us under a salary cap. They got all angry about the term salary cap. They did. They capped Antonetti and Chernoff spending. I mean, they really, really had to, you know, move mountains uh, the last time they wanted to sign somebody. And they didn't sign anybody in the offseason, right? They went all internal. We have the youngest team in baseball because of that. But... But when Andres Jimenez is up for an extension, and George Valera is up for an extension, and Cal Quantrill is up for extension, don't you want to have money in the coffers to pay for that? I do. I want Quantrill to be signed for a long-term contract. I want Bieber to possibly be signed for a long-term contract. We, you know, the velocity is still a problem with Bieber, you know, guaranteeing him money. But don't you want to see our star players locked up? That's what Blitzer brings. So, uh, yeah, he's excited about... He likes long-term contracts. The whole reason he was giving an interview on the New Jersey Devils' intermission of their broadcast is because they just signed their star player to an eight-year contract. So this guy coming in definitely has an eye on locking up this amazing talent that we've been developing here in Cleveland. That's something he does. Uh, He sees sports teams as good investments. He does not... This guy is a serial sports team investor. He's invested in sports teams in multiple, multiple leagues, including European soccer, football, including NHL, including NBA. He, he's a serial investor because he sees these sports teams as a way to make money. And yeah, you can't tell me the Dolans have complained about losing money. But you can't tell me they're losing money with these national TV contracts, with these Apple TV Plus contracts, which we're going to be on tomorrow night, with these Peacock contracts that we were on last Sunday. We're going to be on the Fox National National broadcast on Saturday. That's a lot of money coming in. So he sees sports teams as very good investments, even Major League Baseball. So he's a smart guy who understands the economics of it. Um, So yeah, so those are some of the things, those are some of the cliff notes on David Blitzer and the kind of owner that you've got joining the ownership group here in Cleveland. It's a good thing. This is a very, very good thing. I'm sorry to be so fired up about this, but I can't believe I was getting in arguments on Twitter yesterday about people who thought this was a bad thing. All right, let's get into the actual baseball game. Let's talk this game because it turned out it was a fun game. It was a fun Tristan McKenzie start. He gets another win. He said in the pregame interview, he kind of said something where like he, he understands that the other numbers are more important, but it's still fun to see wins on the board. It still feels good as a starting pitcher to get wins. It's not even about all-star games and Cy Young awards and, you know, contract disputes further down the line, you know? 
it's just about being good at your job and being wanting those wins under your belt. It feels good as a starting pitcher. It probably feels really good to be a 20-game winner. I, I doubt anybody's out there who's like goes 10 and 12, but's got uh, you know, a 0.89 whip. And is, you know, it's like, oh man, yeah, great, great whip. Did you guys see my whip? No, to be a 20-game winner probably feels pretty good as a starter. So Tristan McKenzie goes out of the day, gets the win. Um, so that's got to feel pretty good. The uh, Rockies defense was sloppy as heck. The Guardians offense, frankly, did just enough. Chad Cool pitched pretty, pretty okay. But he had seven strikeouts over five innings. So he did at moments kind of shut down the Guardians offense. Um, the hits are kind of spread out. The only person with a multi-hit game is Owen Miller on the day. Um, a couple guys reach base a couple of times. Andres Jimenez reaches base three times because he has two walks. In fact, he's the only guy that walks on the team, which is a little bit weird to see. Uh, this team is so good at getting on base and drawing walks. Quant is on base twice because he does reach on an error and a hit in this game. So yeah, so it was a lighter day for the Guardians offense. Um, only eight hits total on the day as the Rockies had 11, but they did enough to get the job done. So let's go through the storylines of this game. And I mean, the big storylines has to be the Rockies, you know, helping out the Guardians once again uh, with their terrible defense. And it starts in that second inning. Now the Guardians do a good job of getting things going. Andres Jimenez kicks off the inning with a single uh, I kind of liked it. it was an interesting lineup with uh, with Jimenez hitting slightly higher in the lineup, right? We had Naylor cleaning up. We had Quan leading off with Straw getting the day off until he goes in defensively. Um, we had Naylor in four, Gonzalez five, Jimenez six. Owen Miller drops back to seven. Yes, this is probably the lineup right here. I'm fine. Owen Miller can go two for four in any hole in this lineup, but four hole never really made sense. Right, he did get the job done. He did drive in some RBIs there, but you want a little more thump in that four hole. Naylor is actually he's like struggling until he's not right. Naylor will struggle, 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 and then put up an extra base hit, which is what he does again. Uh, so yeah, so Owen Miller drops down to seventh. Um, so they put together a little rally here, starting in the middle of the lineup. So uh, Owen Miller with a light double down the right field line ends up hopping up into the stands for a ground rule double. So Jimenez is on third. Palacios works a really good at bat here in the second inning. A really tough at bat. It ends up ending in just a ground out to second base. But there is something and, uh, you know, uh, Manning on the broadcast was very excited about this. It's a six pitch at bat. Eventually, he gets a slider that frankly stayed outside from the right-handed pitcher, but he's able to shoot it over to second base, pull it to the right side, and that brings the run in from third, and that's huge with one out, getting the job done and getting that runner home from third. We talk about it all the time. You get a runner to third with less than two outs, so many ways for them to come in to score. A ground ball to second base, it's an easy way to bring in that RBI. So it's the first run of the game. Palacios does the job. And then Hedges, anything you get from Austin Hedges, right, in that nine hole is a bonus. And a two-out RBI from Austin Hedges in the nine hole is a really big bonus. 104.1 mile per hour line shot single in the left field brings in Owen Miller to score. Now the Guardians are up 2-0. That brings up Quan. And Quan pops one up in the left field. The left fielder for the Rockies, that would be Daza out there uh, for this game. Comes charging in, and just like Mercado the day before, 
ends up a step short of the ball and it kind of hits off the heel of his glove and drops. And originally they scored it as a hit because I think they were trying to save their fielder there, you know, the home field advantage. But they eventually change it to a fielding error, I think, the next inning. So they give the Guardians an extra out. That should have got him out of the inning. Hedges, I believe, does he make it all the way to, is he on second or did he make it all the way to third on this one? Um, either way, he's on and uh, that brings up Ahmed Rosario. So you just gave, Hedges does make it all the way to third. You just gave the Guardians a fourth out there, right? It's no longer three outs to get out of the inning. You now got to go get a fourth out. And that brings up Ahmed Rosario. And he shoots one through the left side for a single. That brings in Austin Hedges to score from third. And it's just a simple matter of, you know, it's hard to cover a whole infield with four guys. And there's plenty of holes. And Ahmed Rosario just shoots it perfectly between short and third base. It feels so easy to do when you see it like that, right? They On the replay, they had a great shot from behind home plate. So you can kind of see the fan out of the infield and you can see how perfectly he just places this ball. And you feel like they should be able to do that every time. And yet it's so hard to do, right? So many balls get swallowed up on the infield. It feels like this should happen more often. Uh, but it's a great swing by Ahmed Rosario. And they put across another run. Unfortunately, that brings up Jose Ramirez with two guys on to maybe add more. And he pops out to end the threat. Ramirez did not have his best day at the plate. Uh, he pops out to end the threat, but they scratch across that extra run, make it a 3-0 game. That would prove huge. And then, again, in the uh, seventh inning, in the top of the seventh, once again, the Rockies' defense lets them down. Quan with a nice single. He lines one over the shortstop's head at 91.9 mile per hour exit velocity for a nice leadoff single in the seventh inning. Uh, it was his first base, his only base hit of the day. He is messing around on first base, messing with the left-handed pitcher to Ahmed Rosario. And uh, Manning and Underwood and Andre Nader were talking about it. You know, is he trying to steal or is he just trying to get in the pitcher's head? Is he trying to fake him out, maybe draw a bad throw? What does the guy do? Steps off the mound and fires high to first base. He does make the bad throw. It's exactly what they were talking about on the broadcast. Uh, I didn't hear it until I went back and watched the highlights. I had a, you know, I was working through a lot of this game, so I didn't have the audio on for a lot of this game. But he does draw the throw. He draws the bad throw. Even he's a little surprised by it that it works. And the ball goes up the right field line, and he flies around to third base. So you just turn an infield, uh, a first, sorry, a leadoff single. You just turned a leadoff single into a leadoff triple. Great job, Rockies defense. You just turned a single into a triple. And then Ahmed Rosario, frankly, smokes one into center field. Hits at 390 feet, 102.5 mile per exit velocity, 580 expected batting average, but not in Colorado with the giant outfield. It's caught out there in center field, but it's definitely deep enough to bring in Quan as a sack fly. And that was a big insurance run right there uh, to make you know give the Guardians four runs on the board. Uh, did it make it four to one at that point? Yeah, they had scored one in the bottom of the fifth. They frankly rallied for a run uh, in the bottom of the fifth. And so this was a nice insurance run here. Keep the three run lead. And with what Brian Shaw is about to do in the bottom of the seventh, it was definitely necessary. So that was the Guardians offense for me on the day. That was my top storyline of the day. Uh, number two storyline definitely has to go to the Guardians pitching. McKenzie with a really solid start, Shaw almost a disaster, and then Eli Morgan and Emmanuel Classe once again shutting things down, 
to end the game. Eli Morgan proving to be maybe the most valuable reliever since uh, since Andrew Miller was, you know, coming in as a weapon out of the uh, bullpen. Another converted starter, by the way, right? Following in those footsteps. He doesn't do it with the wicked slider. He doesn't have the big height on the mound. But that changeup is filthy, and Eli Morgan can get things done. That fastball up in the zone is proving to be pretty filthy, too. It's a good combination. So McKenzie goes six innings on the day, gives up seven hits, only the one run, only one walk, six strikeouts. Here's the difference on the day. He talked about this. You can live with solo home runs, right? He said in the broadcast he's learning that you can live with solo home runs. It's the crooked numbers you got to look out for. Well, you can also live with giving up a couple of base hits if you're not giving up home runs, if you're striking out guys with runners on base. And that's what McKenzie is able to do on the day. He gets into trouble in that first inning right off the bat. McKenzie's in a little trouble. Connor Joe with a leadoff single. Blackman with a double. Now runners on second and third. Nobody out to start the game. You are really in some trouble here. So what happens after that? Brendan Rodgers strikes out. Uh, blows him away. Uh, where was this pitch located? Uh, let's go over to the matchup here and find out. After that, he would get CJ Crone to ground out back to him. It was a weird play because uh, Blackman at second base ends up all the way at third base. McKenzie doesn't look back. He does, frankly, the smart thing and just goes to first and gets the out. It's Owen Miller at first base. If he had been paying attention, he could have thrown to Jimenez at second base. He was waving his arms, and they could have doubled up Blackman and been out of it right there. Blackman almost ran himself out of another inning, which is just mind-blowing to me. What is that guy doing on the base pass? The crack of the bat. That guy is off running no matter what. Um, and so he almost gets doubled up, but it's okay because McKenzie would then strike out Ryan McMahon to end things. He got uh, he got Brendan Rodgers on three pitches. He talk about blowing a guy away. Forcing fastball on the outside edge of called strike at the thighs. Forcing fastball at the top of the zone for a swinging strike, and then comes back and absolutely paints the outside corner with a slider. It's a swinging strike, and he strikes out Brendan Rodgers. That is filthy. Three pitches with runners on second and third and nobody out to blow a guy away like that. Crone eventually chases an outside slider. He was down in the count 0-2 as well. He had fouled one off. He had fouled off a fastball up at his head, frankly, and then chases a slider outside, and that's the one he chops back to Tristan McKenzie. Yeah, you're not going to do much with a slider that far off the plate. And then Ryan McMahon, I remember this one because those up-and-in fastballs are just nasty. He gets them twice with up-and-in fastballs. Starts him off with a curveball that he misses, fires a fastball up-and-in that he swings through, paints the outside edge with another fastball, tries to get him to chase the curveball in the dirt. He won't chase, so he goes right back up and in, even tighter, even higher with a four-seam fastball, and blows it by him, a swing strike, a 93.9 mile-per-hour pitch. That is filthy from Tristan McKenzie. This is great stuff. This first inning was awesome from Tristan McKenzie. Getting out of that trouble, keeping this thing rolling, and uh, frankly, yeah, his CSW numbers weren't eye-popping on the day. He did have 11 whiffs uh, on that four-seam fastball and a couple whiffs on the breaking balls. It's good for a 31% whiff rate on the day. Uh, Eight called strikes as well on the four-seam fastball. That had a 30% CSW on the day. It's only a 29% CSW total on the day. So not eye-popping numbers, right? Only six strikeouts. 
but the locations of them were pretty impressive. And it was mostly the fastball. I mean, he's got three strikeouts from fastballs up and away uh, for the right-handed pitcher. Uh, paints the outside edge against Grichik. It gets a swinging strike on a fastball. And then uh, does get one on a slider. Gets Brendan Rodgers on that slider in the first inning. And a curveball to Ryan McMahon in the sixth inning on an 0-2 count. He swings over a curveball. So, yeah, they were flailing. These are all swinging strikes. All six strikeouts were swinging strikes. So they were trying to be aggressive against McKenzie. They just couldn't do it. On the other side of the things, i got to give a little credit to Chad Cool. Um, you know, he takes the loss on the day, but he did have the strikeout pitch working for him. Uh, his final line on the day, he goes five innings, gives up seven hits, gives up three runs, only two earned. The two walks to Andres Jimenez and seven strikeouts for himself. He was only hard hit five times. It was the slider. I mean, my God, he really gave uh, Oscar Gonzalez fits. Gets him to chase the slider twice way out of the zone. Gets Andres, um, not Andres Jimenez, gets Ahmed Rosario way outside of the zone. This is, these three pitches are in the other batter's box and gets these guys a strikeout. Does get Oscar Gonzalez swinging through an inside slider uh, and then gets Palacios and Jose Ramirez, two lefties, to chase sliders down in the zone. In fact, strikes out Jose Ramirez really bad. I mean, basically hits him on the foot and strikes him out with that slider. So it's a filthy, it's a filthy pitch. And uh, his CSW numbers on the day, let's give a little credit where credit's due. Uh, that slider had a 38% whiff rate on the day. Again, he doesn't have eye-popping CSW numbers either, only a 26%. Uh, racked up some 10 called strikes with his two-seam sinker. Uh, so it's not eye-popping CSW numbers either on the day, but I can tell you that Cool Slider uh, is a really good pitch. Has a negative 10 run value so far on the season. Negative 10. That is an effective pitch. Uh, it's got a whiff rate this season of 37.8%. Uh, so yeah, that slider is a pitch to, you know, that really can do some damage, and it did. It did against those, guardi- those Guardians hitters. Uh, so give credit where credit's due there. All right, now let's talk about the bullpen because Brian Shaw comes in and he just gets himself into a world of trouble right here. Um, just absolutely, sometimes Brian Shaw's good. Sometimes he comes out as a clean inning. Other times he's going to have clunkers. That's the thing about Brian Shaw. You know, he's been pretty good for the month of June. He hadn't given up a run in a long time. He, I think he gave up like three hits for the entire month of June so far. Well, he's going to come out and have clunkers. But, you know, he's a, he's a, he is a true reliever because the next time he goes out on the mound, it's not going to matter. He's just going to go out there, throw that cutter, see what happens, right? Um, unfortunately, you can't put a lot of faith in that guy in close situations to be a setup man right now. But at least he's got, a, you know, a short memory, which is what you need a reliever to have. He doesn't care. He's given up runs before. He'll give up runs again. But he's going to go out there, and he's also going to strike out a lot of people and get a lot of ground balls. And uh, it doesn't work for him on the day. Uh, Brian Servin uh, starts things out with a single uh, in the left field. Frankly, we got to give a little credit where credit's due here because Servin, who is the number nine hitter, and Connor Joe, the leadoff hitter, had eight hits combined on the day. Servin goes four for four from the nine hole. Connor Joe goes four for five from the leadoff spot. Uh, 
Yeah, so that, I mean, give credit where credit's due. Servin, the number nine hitter, scores both of the runs for the Rockies on the day. Joe knocks him in earlier in the fifth inning. That's right. The fifth inning run was the one where Quan couldn't catch it in center field. He keeps drifting back, keeps drifting back, ends up all the way at the wall and can't come up with the catch. And then Joe is able to single him in after the tr- leadoff triple in that fifth inning. So in the seventh inning, they get things rolling again. He singles. Connor Joe singles on a line drive to center field. He then walks Charlie Blackman to load the bases, and that's it for Shaw. Francona's not messing around with that anymore. He faces three batters and let all of them reach base. So now Eli Morgan comes in with the bases loaded and nobody out. How is Eli Morgan going to get out of this thing? Well, it starts off when you're getting Brendan Rodgers to fly out into shallow left field. None of the runners can move up anywhere. CJ Crone does put a good swing on one. He lines one to Oscar Gonzalez in right field. That is deep enough for the runner to come in and tag and score, but now there's two outs. And then he gets Ryan McMahon to ground out softly right back to him. He flips it to first base, and he has just escaped a bases-loaded jam, allowing only nobody out, allowing only one inherited runner to come in to score. And then what does he do? He just stays out there for the eighth inning. Just stays out there. Gets Daza to fly out to right field. Gets Iglesias to fly out the center. And then strikes, strikes out Grichik on what else but a changeup. And uh, Eli Morgan, a changeup down and away to the right-handed hitter that he swings through for strike three. So I just unbelievable from Eli Morgan. The fact that he's able to come out there and go two innings in that situation... He ends up throwing, he does it on 16 pitches, by the way. Uh, So yeah, just coming out and absolutely firing from Eli Morgan. Uh, It's great stuff. Again, not really eye-popping CSW numbers on any of his pitches. The changeup was working. Two called strikes and that one whiff for the strikeout uh, on that changeup. So that's, that's great. I mean, hero stuff from Eli Morgan. Coming into the game with the bases loaded like that, it's a... It's a 4-1 to one game at that point. I mean, they easily could have either tied the game up, made it a one-run game, and instead he keeps the 4-2 to two lead alive. And then Class A comes in in that ninth inning, does give up some hits to start the inning. Uh, Brian Servant starts things off with a single line drive into center field. Connor Joe singles on a ground ball to center field. Those guys were locked in yesterday. Like I said, eight hits combined between them. Blackman would then fly out to center. Servin would go up to third, and that brings up Brendan Rodgers with one out. And Brendan Rodgers had grounded out the day before to into a double play to end the day, to end the game. Classe on the first game of the series on Tuesday had got a double play to end the game. So what do you think is going to happen here with runners on the corner, one out, Brendan Rodgers back up at the plate, gets a chance for redemption? Nope. Instead, he grounds it uh, to third base, fires the second base to get one, fires the Owen Miller first base to turn the double play on Brendan Rodgers again. Three days in a row, Class A has shut things down. I believe got in the save all three games with the double play. That's just fun. That's just fun stuff right there. So a huge day from the bullpen. And yeah, your Guardians just went out and swept the Colorado Rockies. Now, I will tell you that uh, we talked about the Rockies' defense and how bad the Rockies' defense is. Turns out the Guardians have a pretty good defense. Now, in some statistical categories, uh, in good old-fashioned just fielding percentage, the Rockies, uh, the Guardians don't actually rank super high. They're 17th in baseball with a 984 fielding percentage total as a team. The Rockies, 
second worst in baseball, in fact, tied for worst in baseball with the Pirates at 977. When you're just talking errors, if you just want to count up errors, the Rockies are leading baseball. They're leading the Pirates with 54 errors. The Guardians are 16th in baseball with 33, right in the middle of the pack. Now, if you go to some of the more advanced stats, uh, you know, they have on fan graphs, they just call defense. They just It's just the defense. It's a combination of defensive range with positional factors factored in. I tried reading a little bit about it, but basically this is one of those stats on fan graphs where they're like, look, we took all the data, we added it all together, and we gave you a number to tell you how good a defense has been. The Guardians are third in all of baseball in this defensive rating at 14.6. The Rockies are the second worst in baseball at negative 16.6 ahead of only the Giants, who apparently are the worst in baseball in this category. Some other stats where the Guardians surprise you. In the ultimate zone rating, UZR, another one of these cumulative defensive metrics with range and things factored in. In the UZR, the Guardians are number one in baseball, ahead of the Diamondbacks at 13.1 in the ultimate zone rating. The uh, Rockies come in at 22nd in all of baseball. And then there's another stat that I thought is interesting, defensive runs saved. Um, another one of these advanced metrics on defense, DRS. The Guardians, again, first in baseball, 41 DRS, ahead of the Yankees and Mariners, way ahead of the Yankees. Those guys are at 34 DRS. The Guardians are up at 41. And the Rockies are down 22nd in baseball at negative 8. So, yes, this was a very good defense, going against a very bad offense, and the very good defense, not surprisingly, swept the series. So I thought, you know, we don't talk defensive team metrics very often on this show, but when two teams are in such stark contrast of each other, I thought it was applicable to uh, this series and to this game because defense does let the Rockies down. It basically gives the Guardians two runs on the day, and then when it's a two-run win, four to two, I think that's a relevant factor. Yeah, it's a great series from your Cleveland Guardians, and they did it. They did what we wanted them to do. They took this stretch of games, and they got their uh, winning percentage up. They got their record up over 500. They're two games back in the division yesterday. I believe Minnesota was not playing, so they gain a half a game. They're two games back in the American League Central. They're at 32-27, and 27, five games over 100. 500. And yeah, after they lost those games to Cincinnati, and after they lost that series to Detroit, you were a little bit worried about this team. But they go out there, they handle business against Kansas City, against Baltimore, against Texas, against Colorado. They do it. They take this stretch of games, and they put themselves in a really good spot in the standings. Uh, in the wild card, they jump Boston actually in the third for the third wild card spot. So technically, if the playoffs started today, and they are a long way away, I make no illusions about that. They would actually be in the playoffs if it started today. So it's a great job by the Guardians, and now the challenge begins because now you face the Dodgers, you face Minnesota, you face Boston, you face Minnesota again for five. You face them basically eight times in a week and a half. And then you got the Yankees uh, before things cool off with the Tigers and Royals again. So it is a huge stretch of the season coming up right here. And it's if you're going into it, you might as well go into it playing your best baseball, right? 
you might as well. We are going to have some national TV broadcasts again. If you want to catch the game tonight, you're going to have to find a friend that has Apple TV Plus and get their login. I'm lucky I got, I got, actually my father has Apple TV Plus. I don't even think he knows how he has Apple TV Plus, but he has it and I get to borrow his login. So I'm lucky I'm going to be able to watch this game tonight. Find a friend, call, P- I mean, I hear people complaining all the time on social media about Peacock and not being able to find the game and stuff like that. Find a friend, find a friend that has Apple TV Plus. I know not all of us are lucky enough to be subscribed to all of these streaming services. And I don't know what the international rules are on some of these streaming services. So yeah, if you have a hard time finding the game tonight, I do apologize. There are some ways to try to find the radio broadcast of the game. I mean, Rosie is calling the West Coast trip right now. He does, Frankly, he does a pretty good job of actually calling the game. Hamilton gets a little distracted sometimes. Rosie pretty much stays, keeps you in the game at all times. Um, it's not as exciting. He tries, but he's not as exciting. Um, but he at least pays attention to the game. So maybe you can find the radio broadcast. Do what you got to do. And if not, I'll paint you a picture afterwards. You know, check out the box score, and I'll paint you a picture of what happens. A 10-10 start here on the East Coast uh, in Cleveland, Eastern Time Zone. Frankly, if I make it up to the end of this game, it'll be a miracle. So some of our West Coast listeners, uh, you know, might have a chance here. Uh, I don't know. Some of our European listeners, are you going to wake up and watch it in the morning while you're having breakfast? Uh, yeah, so a 10-10 start is going to be pretty rough on all of us. Tomorrow is going to be the Saturday Fox broadcast on national TV. We're talking national Fox broadcast, Saturday night baseball. So we should be able to see that one, a 7-15 start. That's going to be Quantrill against Urias. Tonight is going to be Plesak against Kershaw, right? Plesak has been better as of late, but Kershaw is going to be a tough test. Wait till you see that curveball. It's still very effective. And then Bieber is going up against To Be Determined on Sunday. It's an afternoon game out there in L.A., a 4 o'clock start for us. So it is going to be a fun series. You are going to be, you are going to have the national spotlight on you for this one. What can we do against the high-priced Dodgers, right? Perennial World Series contenders, the L.A. Dodgers. What can we do? Can we keep it rolling from this Rocky series? Let's go out there. Let's show them what a base hit team can do, what a contact team can do, what a base running team can do, what a defense playing team can do. Let's show them what we got. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Thank you for sitting through my whole David Blitzer speech at the beginning. Remember, if you want to go back and hear that full episode where I talk in full detail about who David Blitzer is. Just scroll, scroll through that podcast feed, get down to January 1st of this year. You'll find it. The full conversation It was a fun episode. I actually talked about prospects in that episode. I talked about prospects that I wanted to see make their major league debut. Guess what? I was right on everything I said. I talked about Quan. I talked about Palacios. I talked about um, Pilkington. I talked about Arias. And I talked about um, Nolan Jones. And I said probably four or five of those. If four out of five of those make their debut, that'd be cool. Guess what? Four out of five of those have played in a major league game this season. So I, I freaking nailed it. I gotta, I'm gotta. i giving myself credit on that one. Uh, so yeah, so that's all in that old episode. Uh, it's kind of a two-parter episode. I'll put the link in the show notes, actually. It'll be the Anchor link. So it might jump you out of whatever app you're in over to Anchor. 
but from there you can find it and listen to it anywhere um so i'll put the link in the show notes if you want to go and search that out and hear more about david blitzer i really did do some serious digging and some serious research on david blitzer back then and i there's a lot of good information in that episode all right that's all my thoughts again the final from colorado it's the guardians four the rockies two you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor. So if you go to anchor.fm forward slash clevelandbaseballmornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back in the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.